Father, we're, we're also uh, grateful for the gift of your word, and we thank you that it's true and a gift of love to us. Um, we, we know that we struggle to hear you so often, and we can even struggle to hear you while we're reading your words. And so um, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and that you would fill us afresh and that you would open our, our ears and hearts and minds to the reality of Jesus Christ so that we, we would trust him more and love him more. We pray that in his name. Amen. So our scripture reading this morning is Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll read together verses 10 through the first part of verse 18. <clears throat> Ephesians 6, starting at verse 10. Hear the word of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil, in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's Christmas, and uh, one, of the, um, one of the things I love most about Christmas is the, is the carols, the hymns, all the great Christmas songs. And... and You'll notice when you listen to those songs or reflect on them that all of the great ones are filled with uh, language about light in the darkness and peace on earth. But here, at the end of his letter to the Ephesians, Paul is telling us not to sit back and enjoy the peace of Christmas, but to suit up for battle. Uh, he's not reassuring us with words about light, but he's instead warning us about a cosmic conflict with powers over this present darkness says the sage is characterized not by light, but by darkness. And so it's a good reminder for us, family, that even as the church moves into the seasons of Christmas and Epiphany, we, we never really leave Advent behind because our lives always unfold between the first and second Advents of Jesus. Like we're still people who wait for his return. A few weeks ago, I shared this quote from Fleming Rutledge. She says this, the church always lives in Advent. We stand in a dark place but all the faculties of the faithful are straining like the watchman who stands on the heights with his face toward the coming dawn. The entire Christian life in this world is lived in Advent, in the midst of the tension between things the way they are and things the way they ought to be. And you see, uh, Christmas, um, at least in our celebration of it, doesn't ease that tension, does it? I mean, my guess is uh, you didn't stop sinning on Christmas morning. Anyone sin-free since Christmas? No? Okay. Uh, and peace on earth? What about that? Well, um, 
you look at the news, just to, as I do, I mean, the wars in Gaza and Ukraine, those are the ones that we're reading about the most these days. But, um, you know, there are over, there are well over 100 ongoing armed conflicts in the world today. So many of them, like, Westerners are just kind of blissfully ignorant of. Um, but, like, all over the world, um, people are at war. So Christmas has come, but we're still waiting for the world to be made right. The light has come, but there is still so much darkness. You see, it is still Advent after all, and the Apostle Paul knows this. He knows it. Um, He begins our passage with the word finally. That's what our translation says. Uh, But literally, the, the word that Paul uses means, like, it means for the remaining time or from now on. In other words, the teaching that he gives in this passage is meant to inform our entire Christian lives, like for the duration of them, for the remainder of them, until that great day when Jesus returns. This is a message for the church while it waits. It's an Advent message. Um, And what is the message? Um, The message is that beneath and behind the reality we see every day, like behind, behind the ups and the downs of your life and behind the ups and downs of human civilization and society, a war is being waged. It's not a culture war or a war between political parties. It's not a war between nations. Paul is talking about this cosmic spiritual conflict, an unseen spiritual battle against forces of evil. And he's saying, Christians, wake up. Wake up like you have been enlisted, not just for a day, not just for a couple of days, not for a week or a month or a year. He, he says, for the remaining time. Uh, from now on, from now on, this is your reality. Um, the Christian life is a fight. So, Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. We're going to be in this passage for a while, for several weeks, but... What I want to do this morning is just look at these opening few verses, verses 10 through 13. Um, Paul tells us to fight. He tells us who to fight, and he tells us how to fight. So those are three simple points. Fight. Who do you you fight, and how do you fight? All right, so first, he's telling us to fight. Um, Notice that these are imperatives here. I mean, uh, be strong in the Lord. Put on the armor of God. Take up the whole armor of God. These, these are things that we are to do. Now, why? Because we're at war. Uh, there's a fight, and it's not a fight that we can just hand off to God. Like, there's, there's, no, there's no way to reconcile what Paul is telling the church here with some kind of let go and let God theology um, that says that we can just sit back and do nothing and expect to win. Um, I, think, I think Paul's words speak for themselves. He calls us to fight. Just listen again. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. And I wonder, family, Does that describe your Christian life? Are you engaged in the fight? Are you alive to the reality of it? Or are you kind of down below deck, sleeping while a battle rages all around you? You know, some of us have been Christians for a long time. Um, Do you remember what it was like in the beginning? Some of us were praying about that this morning. Like, what, what was it like in the beginning? Like, can you remember 
just kind of like the sense of urgency? Uh, wasn't there a sense of being alive to the fight? Um, and and do you, do, can you remember a season maybe more recently when you have been alive to the fight, like when you were just all in, all in for Jesus, when you were totally committed to forming habits of abiding with Christ and, and habits of, of prayer and spending time in scripture and obeying God's word and knowing it and trusting it. I mean, do you remember longing to see God's kingdom come, not in some generic way like, oh yeah, I hope it comes however it's going to come, I don't know. But like, no, like in very particular ways, like I want to see God's kingdom come in this way for this person or in this community or in, or in our city in these ways. And I'm going to pray for it until I see the reality of it come to fruition. Like, do you, do you remember just your heart burning within you to see Jesus bring the goodness of his kingdom? And, and then do you remember that you actually had to fight for that? That you had to contend for it? That it doesn't just happen naturally, but that um, you had to, like, strive after that. You had to fight. You know, some of us started our Christian lives standing and then and in little ways, like over periods of time and in all kinds of subtle ways and sometimes over long periods of time, we got used to just leaning, leaning. And then, and then it wasn't long before we were sitting. Uh, I'm just going to sit down for a little while. But sitting feels so good. And you realize, oh, my back, what would really feel good is just if I, if I were to lie down for a while, just, just a little while, just a bit. And then you lie down and, and some of us maybe are still lying down. We're still lying down. And Paul is saying, church, wake up. He's saying, stand. Four times. Stand, 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 stand. The kingdom of God is not going to come into our lives or the lives of the people around us or the life of our city or the life of our nation and world um, while God's people are slumbering down below deck. It comes as we contend for it. It comes as we fight for it. So there's a fight. I wonder if you're alive to it. I wonder if you experience your Christian life in, in this kind of reality that Paul is laying out. There's a fight. Paul tells us to fight, and then he tells us who to fight. Who do you fight? Who do you fight? Sometimes Libby and I fight. Sometimes Isaiah and I fight. Uh, sometimes we fight with ourselves. We fight with our bosses, with our friends with our enemies, we fight with our brothers and sisters in the church. And when we do this, family, um, we're losing. We're losing the real battle because what Paul tells us is that our real enemies are not human beings. And that's, that's what Paul means when he says that our battle is not against flesh and blood. He's saying our real fight is not against other people. He tells us that our real fight is with spiritual evil. He mentions the devil in verse 11, and then in verse 12, he talks about rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We're going to talk more about all of those terms next week. But this is a spiritual battle. Um, we'll talk more about this next week, but let me just respond to like a pretty common objection. I can imagine someone already rolling their eyes when they hear about these unseen spiritual forces of evil because, you know, in our modern Western context, uh, this kind of talk, it's, it can sound just ridiculous and really simplistic and naive and superstitious. And, and the, the critique, or at least one of the critiques, would be something like ancient people believed in spiritual evil simply because they had no better explanations for what was going on. 
Uh, and so they didn't, they didn't understand things like you know, germs and diseases and mental illnesses. And so they just brought demons in when they couldn't explain for you know, this or that natural phenomenon. And look, I'm sure that some ancient people did that, just like plenty of people today do that. Like if there's a gap in our knowledge, the temptation is, oh, well, let's just say there's some spiritual cause. If there's a gap and we don't understand this aspect of evil, well, therefore it must be a demon. People do that today. I'm sure people did it back then. But this is not what the biblical writers are doing. Um, there's a really interesting verse in Matthew chapter 4 where we read this. Jesus' fame spread through all Syria, and they brought him, listen to this, they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them all. What's really interesting is that, um, like, no one knows exactly how to translate that word, epilepsy, but there's general agreement that this is talking about some kind of, um, like, mental malady, like, some kind of mental illness. Maybe it was something that caused epilepsy, maybe not. Something going wrong in the brain. And so it looks like Matthew was able to make some kind of distinction between physical sickness, physical pain and suffering, oppression by demons, and mental illness. Now, they didn't know what caused sickness, like we understand germs today, but they weren't going around saying, oh, demons caused that. No, you're saying some people are just sick and some people are oppressed by demons. Some people have some kind of mental illness and some people are oppressed by demons. In other words, he was not just conflating these things. Um, his view of what can go wrong with people seemed to be pretty nuanced. It doesn't look like he was saying, we don't know how this works, we don't know what causes this, and so therefore it must be a demon. His view was more complicated. And let's get real. Um, like, haven't the wisest people always known that the real picture just is complicated? that evil can't be reduced to material causes, but that it has a real and formidable presence in the world. Um, you know, during the civil rights movement, so many leaders and activists acknowledged that racism and segregation were these horrible problems that needed to be addressed and brought to an end. Um, a lot of them, though, believed that this would happen simply by uh, human prowess through uh, better education and social progress and human willpower. And th like they acted as if human beings were the only players on the stage. But Dr. King had a much more nuanced biblical perspective. He insisted that at its base, the civil rights movement was a spiritual battle. And he insisted that there were like real spiritual, um, there was real spiritual evil at work in society and in the human heart that could not be conquered by better programs and juster laws. And so he would write things like this. Man cannot remove evil through his own power and ingenuity in the strange conviction that by thinking, inventing, and governing, he will at last conquer the nagging forces of evil. He went on to say, we need God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. See, um, King knew that there is real evil at work, and he refused to simply identify that evil with flesh and blood racists. He saw that the battle was much bigger, much more complicated, and that the real enemy was always at root spiritual. And that's the point. I mean, that's what Paul is telling us, that our enemy is not flesh and blood. Uh, it, if we're always thinking other people are the enemy, we are sure to be defeated. Now, just log that away for this upcoming election season. <laughs> If you're always thinking that the real enemy is that person who disagrees with you, 
or who votes differently or who approaches this issue with a different perspective or that political candidate instead of that one, like, you've already lost. It's not the real battle. Paul says our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our enemy, Paul says, is the devil. Now, what's he up to? What's the devil up to? Here's the bad news. The devil, and we'll talk about this next week, um, you know what he's doing tonight? He's making his New Year's resolutions. I mean, he has a horrible plan for you, your life. He hates you, and he has a horrible plan for your life. And he's making his New Year's resolutions. He, um, the good news is that his, his New Year's resolutions are, are pretty much the same as they've always been. Um, if, if we ask, like, what is, what is he up to? Uh, I, I like how John Stott answers. He says this. Is God's plan to create a new community around Jesus? And the answer is yes, it is. You can read about that earlier in Ephesians. Yes, it is. Then spiritual evil will do its utmost to destroy it. Has God, through Jesus Christ, broken down the walls, dividing human beings of different races and cultures from each other? The answer is yes, he has. You can read about that earlier in Ephesians. Then the devil, through his emissaries, will strive to rebuild them. Rebuild those divisions. Put up those barriers. Does God intend his reconciled and redeemed people to live together in harmony and purity? Yes, he does. Then the powers of hell will scatter among them the seeds of discord and sin. You see, if God's, if God's good purpose for his world is, is to make the world this place of shalom, right? That, that rich Hebrew word of peace where there's um, flourishing for us relationally with God and with one another and with the rest of the created order and even with our with our very selves, then the devil just wants to mess with all of it. He wants, to, he wants to spoil and unravel shalom in every way he can. Now, there might be one goal of the devil's beneath all his other goals, because if he succeeds here, he can so easily succeed everywhere else. What is it? Well, um, the devil will do everything the devil can to get you to distrust and doubt God's goodness and love toward you. And, and the reason I think that that's, I mean, that's it. You see that from like Genesis chapter 3 all the way through scripture. Like this is always what the devil's doing. He's always trying to get you and me to distrust God's love. Uh, he wants us to stop trusting the love of the Father. He wants us to think that God could not possibly recognize, uh, welcome us, not not really, not really welcome us, not after what we've done. Um, he wants us to live our lives um, out of this place of radical insecurity, from this place plagued by doubt. And so, and so he'll leverage all of your pain and all of your sin and all of the systems of the world against you in an attempt to destroy your trust in the love of God. And, and here's the thing, family, like you are no match for him. Uh, Martin Luther was right when he penned the lyrics to that great hymn that we sang earlier. I'll, I'll read them again. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great. And armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. And, and so Paul is calling us to fight this supernatural enemy who is vastly more powerful than we are. And so last... Let's just ask, how do we do it? How do we do it? How do we fight a foe like this? Paul says, finally, 
from this time on for the remaining time. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And literally, it's interesting, the verb there is passive. I, don't, I haven't seen a translation that brings it across that way. But the, the word is passive. It's a passive verb. It's not be strong in, it's be strengthened in the Lord, which is so interesting. Like the first move that Paul wants us to make isn't to rush out onto the battlefield. In fact, technically, it's not to do anything. It's not to do anything. It's to have something done to us, for us. Like what we need is to be strengthened by the Lord's mighty power. We need to stand and resist and fight with the resources that are his, that only he can provide. Which is why I think like early on in Ephesians, Paul prays for that early Christian community and he prays for us too, that God would grant us to be strengthened with power through his spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that we being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Man, we should just pray that over ourselves. Let me just pray that again right now. God, would you grant us to be strengthened with power through your spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith? that we, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all of your fullness. You know, Martin Luther doesn't end. He doesn't end that great hymn uh, talking about our sure defeat. Uh, he, do, he goes on and he writes this. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. And who is it? It's Christ Jesus. It's Christ Jesus. Lord Sabaoth. Sabaoth. Glad we don't say that anymore. But Lord of the Sabbath. That's his name. From age to age the same. And he must win the battle. He must win the battle. In fact, as we'll see next week, he has won the battle. Um... And how does he win it? Um, like, what is the strength of the Lord? It's the strength of, of humble love. Um, it's the strength of the forgiveness of sins. It's the life of Jesus for you. It's, it's um, him entering into our darkness and brokenness and sin and taking on to himself and into himself all of it and, and bearing it and bearing it away. This is how the Lord fights, and this is how the Lord wins. Um, be strengthened by the Lord is a strange thing for Paul to say, because how can you do it? How do you obey a command that's telling you to, like, do a passive verb? It's like, it's like uh, be rescued. Or it's like, be fed. You need someone to do it for you. You need someone to do it for you. And so family, uh, Jesus invites you here. And he says, I'm going to take care of you. And I'm going to strengthen you. And I'm going to rescue you. And I'm going to feed you. And I'm going to give you everything you need for the fight. So let's pray. And then we'll come to the table.